what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, so also we should love one another. Hey guys, welcome to Called by Love. I'm Travis. And I'm Nick. And we're going to start with a word of prayer. Father God, we ask for your guidance in this challenging topic. We're excited and we are going to attempt to learn about how you can show your love even in destruction. Uh, We ask for the Holy Spirit to guide our minds and to guide our listeners' minds. Amen. Amen. All right, Nick. So it's been a little while. You've had a child since our last podcast. Yes. And number four. We are diving back in. That's right. Number four. Yep. So that is awesome. So I am excited, but I am also a little tired, as as one can well imagine. I imagine people listening will be tired too. So it'll it'll work out great. Yep. Hopefully they can't feel it. All right. Uh, the flood. The flood is coming. Why is this such an important story to understand? Is it still applicable to us today? And how can we find God's love in the destruction of the world? So we will unpack this today, and we would love for you to join the discussion. There uh, is... A... Go ahead, Trap. No, that's an excellent question. How do we see God's love in destruction? I'm excited to get to it. Absolutely. Well, let's start with a, a verse, Matthew 24, uh, verses 37 to 39. It says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them away. So shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. People were oblivious. People did not believe Noah. He had been preaching. He had been preaching righteousness. It wasn't solely a, hey, get on the ark. There's going to be a flood message it was also a message of come back to god come back to righteousness repent and a call to leave the earthly ways that they were fully invested in so righteousness that's a that's a big word any any way to make that a little bit smaller word I would love for you to make it a smaller word. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so righteousness is right action, uh, following God. Mm-hmm. It is something that we are not capable of, of on our own. Uh, it says in Isaiah 64 verse four, uh, that we all our righteousness as, as filthy rags. Actually, I believe that's verse six. Um, so we don't have any righteousness of our own that is good enough for God. So Noah has to be preaching God, God's righteousness. It's, it's actually the story of Jesus. Um, so we want to obey, but we can't obey in our own power. We have to obey in God's power, which is the way of salvation. So he's, he's essentially saying, come to God, 
he has provided a way to escape destruction. That's it's the a message. twofold message. Yes. Yeah, it's a twofold message: destruction and salvation. And right. a lot of people focus on the destruction aspect because it's massive. Obviously, a planet-wide flood. This is quite the message. And these people had never seen rain, also leading to their disbelief of this impending doom. They're like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, maybe they had boats. Maybe they had they had bodies of water. They understood this concept, but they were like, "This is ridiculous." You're building an ark on the land. That's not where boats go. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you, you imagine, they're like, hey, Noah, the body of water is way over there. What are you doing here? You know, and and well, Noah's just building away, preaching, preaching righteousness, preaching coming back to God, preaching God's love, saying, God doesn't want any of you guys to perish. God doesn't want any of you guys to die in this flood. God is wiping the slate clean because of this wickedness and, and they're completely unaware that they're wicked. Like it says, they're, they're eating, they're drinking, they're marrying, they're giving in marriage until the very day that Noah enters the ark. These people are completely invested in this world. They're unrepentant and they have dis disowned God. They've gone away from God. I mean, we can imagine that maybe some of them had joined in the effort from time to time. I mean, this was what 120 years, I believe mm -hmm. of Noah, preaching this message and these people were possibly maybe coming in and, and feeling receptive. I imagine a lot of us uh, who have found our time, found ourselves at times not in harmony with the ways of God. We may come in and say, yeah, 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 this, this makes a lot of sense to me. And then we find ourselves, you know, months later, we've completely left that train of thought. But I imagine some people maybe come in, help, help him build for a time, and then peer pressure pulls them right back out. But when it comes right down to it, right down until the, the day that Noah entered the ark, it's just his family. It's sad, and it's unfortunate, but the door was always open. And, and I really think that there is something to – the preaching. And I don't know that he had a pulpit out front. Right. I think that he was preaching by his witness of building the ark. And when people came and asked, Hey, why are you building the ark? He would tell them. But the fact that he was building the ark was a witness. And that witness was against them because they did not want to get on the ark. They wanted to continue yeah. this life. I mean, just think about this, Nick. Noah wasn't perfect. It wasn't that God looked at Noah and said, okay, he's perfect enough. He can be saved from this coming destruction. It was that God saw that Noah loved God. I mean, Noah lived so long, only 56 years passed over in between where Noah actually, Noah's father actually knew Adam. They were living so long in that day that these stories were actually very well connected. And so Noah's actually able to have this account straight from his father of meeting the very first human. So it, things got wicked in a hurry. Very, very quickly. Um, so I wanted to go back to the witness thing. And there's a verse in Matthew 24, verse 14. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. 
So this gospel, that's the good news of salvation, will be preached, same thing as Noah, in the whole world, again, same thing as Noah, as a witness. Okay, so Noah is the preaching. He's the preacher, but he's also the preaching. His life. So he showed in his life how different God's people look. He wasn't all talk. He was actually walking the walk. He was actually doing as God had commanded. And that was a witness in and of itself. Right. And even in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, it says, by faith, Noah. So there's no difference in the salvation of Noah as the salvation of us today. It is the same. We are changed and people can see God in our lives. But if we're not spending time with him, what do they see? They just see us. They see hypocrisy, largely. They'll say, okay, you're saying this and doing something different. It's very important to live as if God is exactly what your words say important to you. And, And I can't imagine that there were a lot of friendly people towards Noah when he's like, hey, so God told you not to do this. People don't want to be judged, Nick. That's been a theme my entire life, and I'm sure it was true of that day. There exists a perfect God, and when you remind a sinful world of that perfect God, there's going to be pushback. And I imagine Noah was protected. I know that this was a violent time in Earth's history where if God had not really intervened with this flood, Mankind was headed for this self-destruction. This was not. This was a flood of necessity to keep the plan of salvation alive. It's an it's an interesting concept, and we were going to take a look at how this came to be so wicked. So let's let's take a peek. There's actually another verse in Luke that we're going to go to, and it's going to compare to the times of Sodom as well. Yeah, so in Luke, we read in Luke 17, 28, Likewise also, it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That's the same language. They were doing the same things. Eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. All the normal stuff. Completely oblivious. But the angels came. Yep. And they gave the final message, really. You're right. Unrepentant, we should say. Unrepentant. Yeah, so they could they could have said, "Oh wow, we just got blinded by something superhuman, and it was a miracle, right?" So angels came and blinded as they were trying to take the angels out for sodomy. They had a special revelation of God's power before they were destroyed, and Lot tells them. Lot's, I'm sure, been preaching to them. He's trying to be a witness to them, the same as Noah. 
But nobody listens. Not even his own family. Lot's daughters are married, and they laugh at Lot when he comes to try to get them out. What a sad picture. Right, but why, why, does, why do we compare the story of Lot and the story of Noah? Why is that important? What, what are the parallels there? We see that whenever we are whenever we are waiting for God to intervene in our lives, he seems to be coming in these big moments in time with a warning. And it's a warning of something that is coming, and it's an offer of salvation, and also a message that destruction is coming. Right. So where God's heart is shown that he is wanting people to be saved, but evil and wickedness is not compatible with God's plan. It's not compatible with eternity. So with the plan of salvation coming to fruition and going forward, God's making these judgments. And if we believe God can make an ultimate judgment, certainly God can make a midway through the Bible judgment. There's not only that, there's a verse in Jude. Uh, there's only one chapter in Jude. Uh, verse 7 and verse 8 talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah th- and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So this is a mini picture of hell, the destruction of wickedness. And it says in verse 8, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. That means they are purposefully talking bad about leaders, their leadership. So, of course, God is the ultimate leader, and they are practicing talking down, talking bad about them. There, There is one other thing that I wanted to pull out. In the characteristics, Ezekiel 16, verse 49 says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. So the description can be summed up in this, which is First John 2.16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Of the world, Nick. This is exactly what the people in Noah's day are doing. This is exactly what the people in Sodom and Gomorrah's day are doing. And this is Lot's wife, still in love with the world, unable to even continue being saved, looking back as if to say she still wanted that. Yep. Her mind was there. Her desires were there in this world. So the characteristics of the people before the flood were, if we take all these verses, proud, sexually immoral, violent, constantly think of of evil, idle, sitting, waiting, having too much time on their hands. Um, Not lacking any food, not lacking any quality of life. 
pretty high quality of life, I'm sure, for the people who don't have to work so much. Full-on indulgence and seemingly full-on sinfulness to where you're only focused on your pleasure and you are unrepentant. You're not caring at all about the ways of God. You're not caring at all about this message that this city is going to be destroyed. This world is going to be destroyed. And this is something that we're going to see again. Absolutely. So Genesis six, verse five says, and God saw the wickedness of man that was great on the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Evil would be selfish. Mm-hmm. And selfish has the root, is the root of all of the above sins that we just talked about. It's choosing self over God. That's what lust leads to. That's what all of those other sins. If you want something, you take it. You're breaking being murderous. Right. You're, Why not? You're you're loving you're also loving yourself over others. Exactly. God isn't all about God isn't all about us loving only him. God feels loved when we love others. When we love others well. So they're they're indulging in all of their pleasures and they're also completely evil in their interactions with others. They've lost all respect for others. They've, they're all, they're all out for pleasure. They're all out for this world and they don't care what it does to other people. And certainly uh, we probably see all kinds of wickedness with that mindset. Genesis six verse six says, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart Repented means he felt sorrow. He wanted to turn it around. That is incredible that God is not okay with what he has done. It's not not that he's going to change his mind, but it just hurt him so. God has emotion. He feels every bird that dies he feels every funeral that will ever be and he hates it he hates sin he hates death he hates suffering he hates evil and yet he loves his creation and so he's find himself at this point where most of the world has rejected him is wicked is evil is doing all sorts of lewd and and evil acts and it's not yeah you're right it's not saying that he regrets it to the point of I'm done with it. He's, he's having to go through it. He's now in that point where he's actually feeling all this wickedness and experiencing it. And he hates it. You know, the interesting thing about this is that right. If we were going to take the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and compare it to the story of the flood, there's Noah is preaching for 120 years. Well, in Genesis 18, there's a story of intercession. Abraham intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, you know, if there's 50 righteous people, if there's 40 good people, if there are 30, 20, down to even 10, are you going to destroy it? God says, no. 
the heart of God full on full display. It's all worth it to him. Even if he saves just one. Great. Exactly. The one sheep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that, why would that be any different from the day of Noah? There were That's not, where we see God's love. There, there were not 10 righteous people on the earth, the whole earth. So God waited and waited and waited to send the flood until there were less than 10 people that would choose him. He's giving his freedom. I mean, he gave his freedom. We see even in the story of Cain and Abel, we see that this freedom has been granted and God is trying to intervene to a way to say, don't do this. And yet here we go. You have Abel offering exactly what God asks in a sacrifice pointing towards Jesus sacrifice. And then you have Cain coming out and doing it his own way, saying it doesn't matter exactly what God says. It doesn't actually matter to follow through with exactly what God says. And we all know the story. Cain kills his brother. He's jealous. He's upset. He's angry. He doesn't like the status quo. God curses Cain. And then we see this separation. You go that way, you go that way. And we have the beginning emotions, the beginning uh, energy of this wickedness descending upon the earth. Right. It's it's so incredibly interesting here that in Genesis 4, verse 4, it says, And Abel, he also brought the firstling of the flock and the fat thereof. And, of course, in the fat would be in the, the excess, the first and the best, the things that make you feel good. And so he, the Lord respected Abel's offering. He saw it and he approved of it why did he approve of abel's offering abel brought his best and abel actually followed through on what god had requested which was the whole purpose of sacrifice is to connect you with that future event in jesus and if you aren't going to bring your best if you aren't going to actually follow through with what God has asked, you're not actually understanding, you're not actually connecting with this saving power that God's trying to grant people in retrospect, something that hasn't even happened. This is what God is trying to say to his people with sacrifice. You know, there's an interesting story in the book of Malachi where God asks, would you bring the lame and the deformed sheep to your governor <laughs> to your boss yeah exactly and <laughs> and right. yet you have brought that to me and when we see that god does not respect cain's offering it's because he's not giving god his best his best he thinks is good enough he's not following god's command that says hey look at sacrifice requires death you didn't bring a sacrifice that requires death therefore there is no forgiveness for the 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 whole challenge for cain is humility right and it's the same we see cain fall into that storyline 
in Genesis 3, where it says God's speaking to the serpent and says there will be enmity between your seed, the serpent's seed, and the woman's seed, or God's seed. And so Cain takes on, well, you know what, before we jump there, Cain takes on the serpent seed. He he becomes the serpent seed. And we see this because before he even kills Abel, God comes and he gives a warning. And the warning is, if you do well, this is uh, Genesis 4, 4, verse 7. If you do well, you will be accepted. If you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire shall be unto you. But you shall rule over it. So God comes with a warning and says, hey, you're about to make a big mistake. And Cain doesn't listen. He takes Abel out into the fields and slays him. And so because of the witness that Abel is, Cain does not have the ability to control his own anger. He, he's not balancing. He's not abiding with God to be able to combat that anger. He's, right, and he's, he's, he's not repentant. Play. He's not repentant. And so you can see God gives him another chance. And when God asks questions, it's not because he needs to know. It's to try to bring humanity back into the will of God. And he asks Cain, where's your brother Abel? And he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so just like the devil, he lies. He definitely lies. He knows exactly where his brother is. And he should know God knows where his brother is. I mean, it's such a, you're caught dead in your, in your wrongdoing, pun intended, I guess. And you're completely unrepentant before God himself. What a, what a, what a stand to take, I guess. Yeah, and in, and then God says in verse eleven says, "Now you are cursed of the earth, to which has received your brother's blood at your hand, and you will no longer be able to be a gardener for all intents and purposes." And Cain says, "It's more than I can bear." Well, if it's more than he can bear, he'd better repent. Right. He should have repented. God gave him a chance to repent before before he killed Abel. But it says that you have driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and my face will be hidden, and I will be a fugitive and a vagabond. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever slays Cain Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any find him should kill him. So God protects Cain. That is something that cannot be missed. God God still loves Cain. God still loves Cain. 
God still wants to give him the chance to repent. But we see that he goes out from the presence of the Lord. That means he continued to rebel and he continued to ignore God's counsel even after God is counseling him about it. And it says he went out to the land of Nod, which actually just means wandering. And it, it doesn't mean a physical wandering, because if we read further, he builds a city. It's a wandering, as in he will never be at peace again. You know, the, the, the mark of the beast, it's in Revelation uh, chapter 14. And there is a special way of saying it. And it says, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full mixture, right? And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And there will be no rest, neither day or night for those who worship the beast. So there is a present tense of not being restful. And of course, Jesus is the one who says, come to me and I will give you rest. So he's going out in each of us, if we are choosing, are going out of God's presence. And that's okay. the whole message of the mark of the beast is to remain in God's presence, not to go out. And so we see the semblance, the, the, the connection here between Cain and those who are receiving the mark of the beast. There's two sorts of people. There's people who go out into the world and they're of the world. And there's people who abide with God. There's people who connect with God and prioritize God and are, they're in relationship with God. And it's this or that. It's on the ark. It's off the ark. It's out of Sodom, in Sodom. Exactly. And, and if we go back to, to Genesis chapter 4 with Cain, it says uh, that Cain knew his wife, this is verse 17, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after his son Enoch. And Enoch bore Irad and Irad meh. Who Jael? Sure, <laughs> we'll we'll call it that. Um, and then it it continues on until he comes to a, a Lamech. It's not the same Lamech as Noah's father. And Lamech took unto him two wives. This is the first time that we see blatant disregard for God's command about Adam and Eve. One man, one woman. They haven't even imagined all the ways that they can become wicked, but they're slowly bending. Right. And so in verse 21, it says, um, and his brother's name was Jubal and his father, he, and he was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. So they've now invented music to entertain and it's very interesting. It just continues on in a downward spiral 
until it comes down to verse 25. And it says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, who came slew. That is incredible because it's basically all of this happens and then Seth is born to replace Abel. God's seed continues. So we have the, the seed of the serpent in chapter 4. And then we have the seed of God. And it goes down and I'm not going to read through through it all, but Essentially, we have this lineage of the sons of God from Adam down to Noah. And there is an interesting prophecy that is in the name, the names of each of the descendants. So starting at Adam, it's a very... Let's just let me just read it to you. So Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal, Canaan means sorrow, Mahaliel means the blessed of God, Jared means shall come down, Enoch means teaching, Methuselah means his death shall bring, Lamech means the despairing, and Noah means rest or comfort. So if we are simply to read the means. Of the names from Adam to Noah, it says this. Man, appointed mortal, will, will sorrow, and the blessed of God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort. So, Jesus. Exactly. In the names of Adam to Noah, the story of Jesus is prophesied. Mind blown. <laughs> it's incredible. It is incredible. And, you know, just to go on one more thing here before we lead up to the full story of Noah, Methuselah means his death shall bring. Methuselah, do you have any idea what year Methuselah died? In relativity to the flood. It was real close, wasn't it? It's the same year. Same exact year. So Methuselah is a walking prophecy that says his death will bring. Okay, Methuselah will die. Destruction will come. It is incredible that God has told people over and over in different ways by different people that the flood is coming, destruction is coming. You have an option. God even made the miracle happen of the animals coming to get on the ark. The people see two animals of every kind descending upon the ark, and they still, they, they're just, oh, what a neat trick. I just cannot fathom. We've never seen a flood before. We've never seen rain before. He's built this boat in the middle of this landmass. 
But the animals, that didn't even sway people. People were completely hedged in with their decision. By that time, they had decided against God. And God says, I'm sure God laments. God loves all these people. You have to remember, God loves all of these people off the ark just as much as he loves Noah. And that's an important distinction. He doesn't hate these people. Mm -hmm. He loves these people. And you just imagine just the, even the angels leading the animals to the ark are just like, come on. Like, what what are we doing here? Like, what do we have to do? You you, you could send this sign, this wonder, this, like people were completely hedged in on their decision for destruction. And they didn't believe, they didn't believe God. They didn't believe that a flood would come. They didn't believe that Noah's message was important. And wow. And the day came, the door was open for every person who would have gotten on the ark. Noah's invitation, Noah's final invitation comes and he gets on the ark and his wife and his three sons and their wives, a total of eight people. Not a cloud in the sky, no no sign of storm. People are, as they say, it says that even until the day that the floods came, to, that Noah entered, entered the ark, they're, they're partying, they're doing their thing, they're living in the world. And then Noah is showing faithfulness. He's on the ark, and it's not raining yet. He's not entering the ark because the rain's starting to fall. He enters the ark well before the rains come. He is making this faith-led decision to follow God's way, to follow, to take God's offer. Noah's not doing anything to be saved apart from following God. And Noah can't even close the door to the ark himself. Yeah, God has to do that. And I assume God sent an angel to actually close the door. But once the door closed, there was no changing. There was no change in sides. There was no wasn't going out and nobody was going in. And it, it just it reminds me of the verse in Revelation, Revelation chapter 22. And it is. Let me see here. And it says, uh, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Um he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. So everyone is firm in their choice. The probation is over. Revelation calls it the seal of God, perfectly corresponding to the sealing in that God did with Noah's family on the ark. And God is not excited that there's people outside, but he's certainly excited that there's people inside. So it's it's a, there's a dual dualistic love to where God is definitely still loving the people in Sodom. He's still loving the people outside the ark. And in the end of time, he's still loving the people who are not sealed with him, but God has to end things at some point. God is trying to, we ask, why is there death? Why is there suffering? It is truly because God is letting these things play out to give choice, to give freedom. But someday God is going to save us, to save those who love him from all this death, all this suffering and the destruction that 
truthfully, we all actually deserve. It's a gift. The ark was a gift for Noah. Noah wasn't perfect. It's a gift. Telling, telling Lot and his family to exit Sodom, this is a gift. And you just have to accept it. Exactly. You know who killed the people before the flood? The people themselves. They did not choose to listen to God. God says there is destruction coming. There is a way made for you to not be destroyed. And they said, no, thank you. Wickedness is not compatible with eternity. This is something we have to realize that all this evil, all this death, we know that death is a result of sin. We know that all the evil we see is a result of sin. And we have these parallels, perfect parallels, just so perfect. And when you even say the names of these, of, of the seeds of, uh, beyond Adam, that it just por- perfectly points to Jesus. And we have a destruction upon the earth with the flood, a judgment. And then we have an opportunity for salvation and a message. Truthfully, people saying exactly what's going to happen. And yet people choose, choose destruction. You're right, their own decision. And so shall it be in the coming of the end of the world. But the, with the coming of Jesus, it's going to be the exact same way. People are telling you this is going to happen. People are calling you to get on the ark, to accept Jesus Christ as your savior, to avoid this judgment, to avoid this destruction. And God's love is revealed in that he is ending evil, but he's giving you every opportunity to choose him. He's giving you every opportunity to be saved. And that is his wish. He takes no joy in destruction, like we've said on a prior episode. This is the destruction. This, this is the wrath of the Lamb. It's supposed to be oxymoronic. This is not something God wants to do, but it's something God must do because God is love. And love has to oppose evil. Love has to someday destroy and end evil. The destruction of sin is what God wants. And if we do not give up sin, we will be destroyed. We're not going to be perfect, Nick. We're not perfect now. No. But as we take on and accept Jesus as our Savior, when that judgment day comes, God is judging Jesus. Right. So God wants to take our sin. And he wants to cover us and say, hey, look, have you seen, have you seen Travis? He looks like me, doesn't he? Why does he look like me? Oh, because he spends time with me. And you know what? When he spends time with someone, he starts to be like them. So because he spent time with me, he looks like me. And he's invited me into his heart. Not because he's better than anybody, but because he likes me. He wants to spend time with me. Amen. And I want that to be said of me. Amen. Uh, It's, but it's nothing I deserve. Nope. And it's nothing any of us deserve. And it's nothing that Noah truly deserved. It's nothing that Lot truly deserved. It's a constant repeating of this message. From destruction, a warning and an invitation. Are you going to take it? Are you going to get on the ark? Right. And the, the warning that I see in the pre-flood world is don't be caught up in this world. 
It's going to end. The only lasting thing is the kingdom of God. Next time, we'll look into the flood itself. But the pre-flood was a very fun topic. Just to gather a bigger picture of the days that we're living in and the end of the world. So why don't we bow our heads and Travis, go ahead. Dear Father in heaven, we know that the pages of the Bible have told us that destruction has occurred before. And we know that the pages of the Bible correlate and tell us that destruction will be coming. But we also know that just as with the flood, you have an invitation. You're inviting us to salvation. You're inviting us to life because that is who you are. But because you are love, destruction must come. But God, we pray that both of us and everybody listening and all our loved ones and everybody on this planet will come to you. Lord God, thank you for all of your blessings. Thank you for giving us a warning ahead of time. Thank you for giving us all this scripture that we can learn, that we can see the end coming. And God, I want to say today that I want to be sealed with you. And I know Nick wants to be sealed with you. And we pray that every listener wants to be sealed with you so that that destruction is not brought upon us, not anything that we deserve, but just that we accept your gift. Lord God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for joining us. This has been Called by Love.